Let's look this morning at Mark chapter 5 in our Bibles. Mark chapter 5, we'll be looking at this, uh, this narrative of the woman with an issue of blood and Jairus' daughter raised from the dead. And the title of the message, A Healing and a Resurrection. This uh, story is, off, is told here in Mark chapter 5. It's also found in Matthew chapter 9 and in Luke chapter 8. But we've chosen again to be in the Gospel of Mark this morning. If you're there in chapter 5, let's begin our text with verse 21 and see the setting of uh, when this, uh, this story takes place. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. So Jesus passed over again by ship unto the other side, speaking the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They were returning from the coasts of Gadara, where they had gone back in verses 1 and 2 of this same chapter. Uh, Capernaum is on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, and uh, Gadara is on the eastern side of that, of that lake. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus had been in the city of Capernaum already. He was healing people, he was teaching them, uh, he was telling the parables, and he told the 12 disciples that were there to get into the ship with him, and they sailed to the east side of the sea. But as they were crossing to the, the area of Gadara, Gennesaret, uh, they were, a, a storm arose. arose. Because of the, topic, um, the topography right there, and the, the, the depth of the Sea of Galilee, only 200 feet, similar to Lake Erie where storms arise, uh, there, is, uh, there are violent storms that come up on the Sea of Galilee. They come very quickly and they're common. The disciples, among them, were some experienced fishermen, had to wake Jesus up. And you remember the line, carest thou not that we perish? And so Jesus arose, he rebuked the, the wind and the waves, and immediately they were still. And the Bible says in Mark 4:41 that his disciples feared exceedingly because of his power over the storm. They were afraid of the storm, but when they saw his power, they feared even a greater fear exceedingly. And we learned that Jesus had power over dangers. When they got to Gadara, they had just stepped off of the boat and onto the shore, and two men possessed with demons came running toward them. And we studied about the deliverance of those two men of Gadara in Luke 8.37. We read that the people, in their, their response to this healing of these two demoniacs, they asked him, it says they were taken with great fear, and they asked them to leave their country. And so not only do we learn that Jesus has power over great danger, Jesus has power over demons. But in Mark 5.21, where we find ourselves today, they're returning to Capernaum. And the crowds that followed them initially when he was teaching and healing had uh, gathered again. And in our text today in Mark, we'll see uh, two more miracles as we go through this chapter. Jesus will, will heal this woman of an incurable sickness, and uh, he will also raise a girl from the dead. The miracle, the first, shows that Jesus has power over disease, and the second, Jesus has power over death. So over danger, over demons, over disease, and over death. Uh, just a few of the, the miracles teach us his great power and authority. These two miracles that we'll read about this morning are intertwined in the narrative, and they create this tension. We see 
Jairus wants to get home. He wants Jesus to be there to help his daughter. And there's a frustration on his part. And because this woman in the crowd that's there uh, takes some time. And he doesn't get to his daughter in time. In these two miracles, there's something interesting of comparison and contrast that God shows us he's not limited in, in how he works or with whom he works. As far as comparisons go, the woman had her illness for 12 years. The daughter of Jairus was also 12 years old. Luke writes in Luke 8.42, for he had only one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay a-dying. Warren Wiersbe writes, Jairus was about to lose a daughter who had given him 12 years of happiness, and the woman was about to lose an affliction that had brought her 12 years of sorrow. Both of them were desperate in their need, and they came to Jesus and found that he was willing and able to help them. The healing of the disease and the raising of the dead were miracles that clearly are demonstrations that God is omnipotent. He can do anything he pleases. As far as contrast, Jairus was, was a prominent man. The woman with the issue of blood is unnamed and probably unknown. Jairus was a religious man, one of the rulers of the synagogue. He would be the director of that synagogue, uh, the place where scriptures were read, where prayers were made, where the Jews met until 70 A.D. when the temple was destroyed. That's the only place that they could meet after that. So Jairus, a religious man, the woman would have been restricted from worship because of this disease. She was unclean. Jairus was a man of wealth. The woman, we're told, had spent all of her money for medical help. Jairus had a family. The woman's condition had probably kept her from being married. And, and I think that the contrast is here in this one narrative with these two miracles because Jesus wants us to know it's not how important you are, how well-known or if you're unknown. It's not whether you're wealthy or you're poor, whether you're prestigious or not. Jesus is the one who loves the individual. And he died to save each one of us. The Bible says in Romans 10, 12, the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Let's look at the request of Jairus in verses 22 through 24. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, that is Jesus, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My daughter, my little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. Mark uh, tells us about what happened at Capernaum in, in chapter 1, and I think that will help us understand a little bit more about who Jairus is. Uh, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue in, in the first chapter of Mark. A man with an unclean spirit happened to show up, and Jesus cast the demon out of that man. Then he healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law, who also lived in Capernaum. He healed others who came to him. Mark chapter 2, we have another healing in Capernaum. That's when a paralyzed man was brought to Jesus by four friends. They couldn't get to him because he was inside the house, and they lifted the roof and let him down through that roof. 
And it was there that the scribes and the religious leaders started questioning him and accused him of blasphemy. Okay, this is Capernaum. Hughes writes, the crowd stood riveted in silence. That's now back in, in, in the chapter of our text today. Jairus asking Jesus to come heal his daughter. The crowd stood riveted in silence. Jairus had not been known to be friendly toward Jesus. Jesus was an outsider and had been accused of heresy by many. His previous use of the synagogue had proved controversial. Moreover, Jairus was the leader, not Jesus. Yet now he is coming to Jesus. With that background, Jairus comes and he makes this request for his daughter. Why? He was desperate. And desperation often causes people to turn to Christ, to come to Christ. God may bring unpleasant things into your life so that you'll come to him to be saved. He may bring unpleasant things into your life as a believer to build your trust in who he is and what he's doing. You may be facing things right now and those things may be pushing you closer to Christ. It was Charles Haddon Spurgeon who said, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. How did Jairus approach Christ? It says that he fell at his feet, humbly acknowledging his great need. He's the only one who can help him. It says he besought him greatly with great emotion. He wasn't concerned about what the other people in the town thought about him coming to, him, to Christ. Listen to his request. My youngest daughter, or my young daughter, his only child. He call, he's, it's a term that he uses here that's a, an endearing term. Thugatrion. My young daughter. We all know the heart-wrenching feeling when our own children are hurting. We think, if I, if I could only take their place, I would. So his, his request is personal. His request was urgent. She lieth at the point of death. Literally, he's saying she is coming to the end. He pleaded. He asked in faith. Come so that you can lay your hands on her with the result that she'll be healed. She'll live. The word there for healed is sozo. We've said that before. It's saved. It can be used spiritually or physically. Here it's being used in the physical sense and translated with this word healed. Verse 24, we read, And Jesus went with him. And by going with him, Jesus is giving him hope. He's going to take the next steps that have been requested as well. He will lay his hands on the child, and it will result in this healing and the, the fact that she'll be able to live. But now... At the end of verse 24, we read something that's going to delay them. Much people followed, and as they joined along, they wanted to go with him. They, they heard the request from Jairus, and they wanted to go along. And it says they thronged him. They were pressing in together. It's a word that means uh, to, to, to press together. Well, let's look at the healing of the woman along the way in verses 25 through 34. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered but rather grew worse, 
when she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, or she thought, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. She had a disease. She had this hemorrhage that was going on for 12 years, uncontrolled bleeding, a hemorrhage from either a wound or a disease. Here it's told that it was a disease. She would be considered unclean religiously, but also socially. She'd suffered many things from many physicians. The Talmud gives at least 11 cures for this sickness. Some were homeopathic remedies made of a combination of herbs. One was the gum of Alexandria, alum, and crocus. Mix it in three equal parts and take that. See me in the morning. <laughs> Another was made from Persian onions boiled in wine. Some were, were practices, not just uh, something you take, a medication, take this, but do this. One treatment was to carry a grain of barley that was taken from the droppings of a white female donkey. <laughs> Another was to have her sit where two streets cross, sit at the intersection, holding a cup of wine when someone would come up behind her and scare her by shouting, Arise from thy flux. Makes you wonder, where did they come up with these? But she spent all that she had. And none of the things she tried helped. In fact, she was getting worse. And here she touched the hem of Jesus' robe. She had heard about Jesus either that day or maybe previously. She came in the press, in the crowd behind him. She touched either the hem of his garment, his robe, or the tassels that were attached to the fringe of his robe. She said, if I may but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. She may have believed the superstition that uh, the, those who thought in the day, if, if uh, the shadow of someone who was godly were to pass over them, they would, they would be healed, or if she would touch something that belonged to this person, this godly person, there was a miraculous healing in store. You know, Luke told about that, and he was a doctor in Acts 5.15, where sick people from Jerusalem were being brought to the streets on stretchers so that the shadow of Peter could touch them and they would be healed. So superstitious, perhaps. Well, two things happened immediately. In verse 29, it says, straightway, the bleeding was dried up. She knew in herself that she was healed. And then we see the same word in verse 30, translated immediately here, same as straightway, immediately Jesus knew in himself that virtue had gone, gone out of him. Virtue is the word dunamis or power. So she knew something took place. He knew something took place. Now when we think of this, this virtue going out of him, and, and this is his, he's omnipotent, right? 
And so God cannot lose his power, any of his power, in the sense that after it's gone, he's less powerful. That doesn't happen. And his power cannot be taken from him unwillingly. Verse 30, it says, knowing in himself. Jesus knew all along what would take place. He wanted her to express faith and reach out to him. He wanted to heal her. And so this power wasn't taken. He was giving it. Well, Jesus followed up by asking, who touched my clothes? He wanted to make sure that this woman knew it was because of his power and not because of her superstition that this miracle took place. The disciples said, you know, everybody's pushing and jostling. How can you know that there was one person who touched you, a special touch? But Jesus knows the difference between the touch of a pressing crowd and the touch of faith. He knows your weakness in faith that reaches out to him as an expression of your need. As an expression of, Lord, if anybody can help me, you can. Jesus kept looking around, verse 32, and he looked round about. And notice it says, to see her that had done this thing. He knew who it was. But he wanted her to reply. She was really the only one in the crowd who knew what Jesus was talking about. Who touched my clothes. The woman came forward with fear and trembling. She fell down before him, just like Jairus had done. Was she going to be reprimanded in front of everyone for touching someone when she was unclean? And Jesus said, daughter, Thugateri, same thing that we saw that Jairus called his daughter. This is the only place, I believe, where Jesus uses that of an individual. And again, this term of compassion, of, of endearment, daughter. What was going through the mind of this woman? Jesus said, go in peace and be whole. There'd be no reoccurrence of this disease. She had her life back. After 12 years of social and religious isolation, what was going through the mind of Jairus? (laughs) He knew Jesus had agreed to come and help his daughter. He knew things were urgent. We need to get there as soon as we can. And he watched Jesus demonstrate his power to heal. And so he says, I know he can do this, but he's desperate to get to his daughter who's dying. Let's look at the resurrection of that daughter in verses 35 to 43. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid. Only believe. And he suffered no man to follow uh, him, save Peter and James and John, and the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado, and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, He taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him, that is the three disciples, and entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha kumi, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was the age of twelve years. 
And they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it and commanded that something should be given her to eat. Well, the news came to Jairus that his daughter was dead. It came while Jesus was speaking to the woman. Did you see the phrase? While he yet spake. There was no time to try to get there. The delay had brought Jairus' worst fears to reality. It's too late. The news seems to be delivered very bluntly, doesn't it? The words, thy daughter is dead. The advice, don't trouble the master anymore. Sometimes people don't think about the words that they use or the way that they deliver bad news, a message. But even when a person prays about how to say this or thinks about it ahead of time, how can I break this news? And this was a message that he was afraid would come true. It's the last thing he wanted to hear. And let me say one thing that they got wrong in this narrative. They said, why troublest thou the master any further? Jesus is never troubled when you come to him with your trouble and sorrow. 1 Peter 5, 7 has always been in the Bible. It's always true. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Frank Greff was a Methodist pastor in Philadelphia in the late 1800s. People were drawn to him because of his simple faith and his, his bubbling personality. He had a radiant smile. The children loved him. They gave him the name the Sunshine Minister. But what they didn't know, he struggled with severe depression. His life was overwhelmed by heavy burdens. And in one of those very low times of his life, he opened the words of the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. We sang that in closing last Sunday morning. And he opened his Bible to 1 Peter 5, 7 and wrote a hymn that's been a blessing to many today. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth and song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long, Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. Jesus is never troubled when you come to him with your sorrow. He gave hope to Jairus, verse 36. As soon as Jairus heard the news, he said to him, Be not afraid, only believe. Wearsby explains what Jesus is saying. He said, you had a certain amount of faith when you came to me, and your faith was helped when you saw what I did for the woman. Don't quit. Keep on believing. You've seen God do great things in your own life, haven't you? Don't stop believing. Whatever you're facing now, keep believing. Jesus continued to the home. Jairus and his three and the Lord's disciples, Peter, James, and John. When they arrived, there were professional mourners already wailing, already making this tumult, it says. Funerals are handled differently in different cultures. In the New Testament times, loud and emotional displays were a sign of sorrow. They were expected. I was reading where customs were that even a man who was poor, when his wife would die, he had to hire two flute players and one mourner at least. 
And Jairus was wealthy. There must have been many who were hired to do this mourning of his daughter's death. They wept. The word there is to cry out. They wailed. The word is aladzo from alale, which means to shout out in grief. In the New Testament, that word is only used here and in 1 Corinthians 13 when it's used for a clanging cymbal. These cries were probably unintelligible sounds, but they were loud. They were given to produce this grief and emotion. Jesus asked, why make you this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead but is sleeping. And they laughed him to scorn. The word meaning derision, scorn, or laughter is repeated twice in this text. It intensifies their reaction. They scorned him with scorning laughter. That tells me something. They knew that this girl was dead. We have reference, uh, little clues along in the way. Uh, first of all, Jairus said her, he knew the end was near. They wouldn't have sent word that she died and not to trouble the master if that wasn't true. They were going to make sure before they told him the news. And now they laugh when Jesus said she's only sleeping. The miracle, Jesus put everyone out. This was not for everyone to witness. Jesus was not like many of the so-called faith healers today who want everyone to see what they can do. He took her by the hand and said in Aramaic, Talitha kumi. The interpretation Mark gives, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. G. Campbell Morgan adds that the meaning of Talitha is little lamb. How endearing. Little lamb, arise. And she arose and walked around. Normal for a 12-year-old to do. The last phrase of verse 42, they were astonished those who were there, the disciples, the parents. The, the word means to stand outside yourself. It was an out-of-body experience. They, they didn't, it wasn't real to them. It was with great astonishment, great amazement. And Jesus charged them with two things. First, don't tell anyone what happened. A lot of times that happens after a miracle that Jesus performed. Don't tell anyone. You say, how can I keep this quiet? Obviously, this didn't mean don't ever tell anyone. Word was going to get out. The mourners were outside the door. Eventually, someone's going to see this little girl alive. But Jesus wanted it kept quiet until he had a chance to escape the false worship of those who mocked him in unbelief. And he says, give her something to eat. We often forget to do those normal things in life when we go through traumatic experiences. And so in the middle of all the excitement, Jesus wants to make sure that they fed her. And she was completely healed. And it was okay for her to eat now. As we look at these miracles, there are two applications that can always be made when miracles are accomplished. First, by reading about this miracle... Uh, the things that Jesus did in Scripture, you will either say, yes, I believe that that happened because Jesus is the Son of God. He is who he claimed to be. And if he is who he claims to be, he is the only one who can save me from my sin. 
And you'll either say that or you'll walk away from him in unbelief and you'll die in your sin. I've often used John 20, 30, and 31 to explain the purpose of the New Testament miracles. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. And so as you consider this miracle today and you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, believe that he is who he says he is. That's the purpose of this miracle. If you've already put your faith in Christ for salvation, these miracles will encourage you that God loves you, that he is able to accomplish anything in your life that he knows is best for you. He saved your soul for eternity. He'll provide everything that he wants you to have and use whatever he wants to do Whatever you're going through in life right now, he wants to use that for his glory. I want to remind you of Romans 8.28. The context of Romans 8 is, is praying according to the will of God. The Spirit makes intercession for saints according to the perfect will of God. And so we pray and we know all things work together for good to them who are the called of God to them who are called according to the, his purpose, to them that love God, to them that are called according to purpose. There are no mistakes that God makes with your life. Whatever you're facing right now, God wants to be glorified in it. And your testimony will shine as radiantly as this resurrected girl. People will know, you will know, that God does all things well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these two miracles that are written together for the purpose of showing us that there is no one person more important than another, that your grace and your sacrificial death on the cross was for all who would call and believe. And so I pray that today you would draw someone to salvation who is yet an unbeliever. May they see that what you did was real and that you can save them from their sins. And I pray for anyone else who's going through a difficulty that they will learn to trust you and know that it is working together for their good and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.